You're listening to The Special from The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. Hello and welcome to The Special here on The Retail Exchange podcast with me, Martin Popplewell. Here's what's coming up in this episode of The Special. We'll meet Simon Gregory, Joint Chief Strategy Officer at BBH London, one of the ad agencies behind some of this year's biggest Christmas commercials. Christmas might look a little different this year. I say this is a miserable northerner. As much as I've spoken about, you know, the need for some entertainment and some cheer, um, there there is uh, a recognition out there that things are quite hard. So my counsel here would always be the same, and that's to understand your customers. If you have a small base of customers with shared needs, then you probably know how best to talk to them, how best to help them and how to communicate. If you've got a broad national audience like a Tesco, then actually you've got quite a few jobs to do. We'll also be reflecting on how the challenges facing retailers due to the ongoing global pandemic are likely to affect retail footfall and sales with Retail Economics CEO Richard Lim. For many retailers, um, especially in those areas that have been most significantly hit, so apparel being one of those areas, they're still in survival mode. They're still looking at how to reduce um, costs, how to you know how to cut cut down the number of stores, how to reduce space, how to really streamline operational efficiencies, to preserve working capital, to make sure that they're in the best financial position possible to weather the storm as effectively as they can. And looking ahead to the trends that will shape retail as 2020 draws to a close and another year begins with Jack Stratton, Senior Trend Consultant at Insider Trends. Big city centres, a lot of their retail, a lot of the retail chains in those locations depended on office workers and those office workers have disappeared and and many of those office workers will never return, at least not on a a five-day-a-week basis. So those locations have had a dramatic drop in footfall and there's a lot of regional high streets that have had an increase in footfall. Um, I think there could be some sort of tiny sprouts of optimism around some brands, um, maybe existing brands kind of trying out new concepts on those high streets and locations, but also new online only companies or even completely new startups altogether. Um, testing um, physical retail within those locations where it's much cheaper and actually the consequences of it not working that well are much smaller. All that's to come on this episode of The Special with me, Martin Popperwell, right here on the Retail Exchange Podcast. First, we're talking Christmas ads. We're used to increasingly lavish, cinematic, festive ads on our TV screens designed to melt the hearts of the nation, jam YouTube and get us all spending. But there's no doubt that this Christmas is going to look very different. So how is the current world likely to be reflected in the retailer ads we see this year? Simon Gregory, Joint Chief Strategy Officer at BBH London, the name behind Christmas campaigns for UK supermarket Tesco and many others joins me now. Simon Gregory, thank you very much indeed for joining us. It has been a miserable year for retailers and customers alike. How much appetite are you and your clients expecting that there will be for Christmas this year amongst consumers? Thanks for having me. Um, I think uh, the first thing I'd say is no matter where we end up at, Christmas will be um, at a welcome relief. I think for everybody, I think for retailers, it's a chance to try and shore up the end of the year and get the kind of sales in. But I think more importantly for customers, it's an excuse to breed out. Or whether that's being a little bit silly, eating a bit too much, 
think of family even if you can't be with them. And then it's, it's a chance to forget about the outside world a little bit. So I think there'll be a huge appetite. But what I think will be different is how people do it, if that makes sense. So what you find when you talk to customers, although every household does Christmas in a very different way, people are normally after similar things. You know, it's that sense of togetherness. It's um, eliciting that feeling of generosity and trying to kind of create tradition as well. So Christmas might look a little different this year, but I imagine people will still be desperately trying to achieve those things. So um, I, I say this is a miserable northerner as well. I actually can't <laughs> wait for Christmas for once. So I think uh, there will be a huge appetite for it. Do you think there's, I mean, bearing in mind the year that we've had, is there even more of a focus on getting it right when it comes to the year's festive ad campaigns? Um, to be honest, I think Christmas is always high pressure. You know, I spend a lot of time working with Tesco. Um, even come January, Christmas will be the big thing. That'll be the thing we'll be putting our attention to quite quickly. Um, there are so many variables that it's always hard to predict what's going to happen as well. And so I think this year there are even more factors in there. It's so uh, alongside the advertising, you've got to think about customer safety, what are the right messages to give customers about how they can shop, when they should shop, how can they feel safe shopping and this other thing of unpredictable shopping behaviours as well. So I think when it comes to the ads, um, I think there are two things at play. I mean, I think first of all, um, a lot of them will be made already. You know, in an ideal world, you'd be making and filming them come um, April and summer. And I wonder if back then we still had a bit more optimism towards the end of the year. So we might find out it's not changing too much. But I think the big shift um, will be for getting it right, is trying to bring in a little bit more flexibility and agility. So not just the TV bits, but actually all of the other channels. So if, say, something changes with lockdown or something changes with customer behaviours, how can retailers and marketing adapt really, really quickly to tap into it? And what do you think are going to be some of the key themes and messages that are going to be coming through in the Christmas ads this year? I think we will see some work that reflects COVID. I mean, whether it's more of the statement pieces around um, thanking the NHS and care workers, or whether it's putting um, kind of colleagues in the front of ads to recognise their contribution during lockdown and, and, and the year that we've had. But the other thing in my head is Christmas is one of those times where customers look forward to advertising, you know, and it gives you licence to entertain and to jump the shark a little bit. So I'm not sure how many people will actually want to see, um, you know, Christmas as it stands in this year. I wonder if people will be looking for a bit more escapism a bit more um, of tradition and happiness and all of the things, the lovely stuff we normally think about Christmas. So I, I wouldn't, I mean, it's hard to say. I'd be surprised if we saw the negative parts of COVID in advertising, but I'd expect there to be a little bit of a look back on the year, but then the rest is let's just make it joyful, entertaining and lovely for people. It's been such a tough year. Let's make something they'll enjoy. You mentioned a few moments ago about just how long the lead in time is for the planning process for Christmas. Yeah. Did you notice things changing radically as soon as lockdown started in the UK sort of late March or did the, the changes take longer than that to knock on? Um, I, th I think the answer is both in reality. You kind of get a little bit of this, oh, um, we're going to need a plan B just in case. Where there's uncertainty both in the market and in terms of how customers are behaving. So we're going to have to think about how do we play this differently if we need to. So it wasn't really a knee-jerk um, shift in strategy and shift in approach. You know, the, the things you need to sell are still going to be similar, but how much you do it might change. So it's more going, what we don't know what Christmas is going to look like. 
we need a plan that gives us a little bit of flex. And it's, um, like I mentioned earlier, finding that flexibility um, in the world of unpredictability is the key. And one thing that I think has been really beneficial out of all of this is I think retailers and marketers have had to get much closer to their customers. We've all worked for places where, of course, we've got deep bits of research about our customers, but things are changing so quickly now. We're having to rely on other tools, tapping into our customers more frequently, testing their mood, seeing how they're feeling about shopping, seeing how they're feeling about Christmas. So the good side of this is being much tighter in what the nation needs and how we can best help them. Retailers have often relied on the office Christmas party uh, as a creative route. Uh, That is obviously off the drawing board completely. Uh, Are there any others like that which are off and then others which are more definitively on? Um, It's funny, yeah. The office uh, Christmas party is always one of those cliche ones. I'm never sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, though. That might be just based on my own um, experiences. But um, as I say, I think it'll be a mix of... Some things we will have filmed already, and it might be a case if they don't make the final cut. But really, it's an opportunity to look beyond the normal tropes. Um, like I said at the front end, we keep coming back to what are the things that people really want from Christmas? Is that tradition? Uh, is that sense of uh, generosity? And is that sense of togetherness? And there are so many ways in which we do this. So what it might do is force us to think differently about how people achieve this. So as you say, it might be less the cliched office party, it might be more about, actually, how do we stay close when we can't um, do it physically. Given everything that's happened this year, are we likely to see a bit of a departure from the, the lavish Christmas ad productions and the spending on those campaigns that we've seen in previous years? I don't think so, to be honest, um, especially not for, for the big players. Um, you know, most marketers uh, nowadays recognise the importance of brand building during a session. You know, previously it used to be uh, when money was hard, you cut budgets on marketing, but actually uh, the inverse is proven to be true. It's a chance to actually brand build. So I think you'll still get the big numbers, partly um, because people want to be entertained and, and to see um, something positive out in the market. And secondly, because it's a chance for brands to actually put themselves out there. Um, what I think will change is um, all of the bits below the big ads. So then actually how um, deals and promotions could get quite bloody if numbers aren't looking good towards the end of November. So all those other channels might start working much harder, much more frantically to convert audiences in the short term. Do you think one of the challenges that retailers face this year particularly is on the one hand creating a sense of festive cheer, abundance and all of those Mm. kind of things, whilst at the same time being respectful and understanding of the fact that this year, more than any other, that is not going to be the case for a good number of people. Yeah, um, and it comes partly down to tonality, because much as I've spoken about, you know, the need for some entertainment and some cheer, um, there, there is uh, a recognition out there that things are quite hard. So my counsel here would always be the same, and that's to understand your customers. If you have a small base of customers with shared needs, then you probably know how best to talk to them, how best to help them, and how to communicate. If you've got a broad national audience, like a Tesco, then actually you've got quite a few jobs to do. So, of course, you need to grab attention to, to keep Tesco front of mind. You've got to trade, and you've got to convert, and so on. So I think it depends a little bit on the shape and the scale of your business, but it all comes back to just checking with your customers, 
see where you can genuinely help and see what they're looking for. So for me, it's less about, um, you know, should be should the ads be lavish and things like that. It's more about how do we actually do the right thing for our customers at this time, and then you can start to think about what's the right tonality. Isn't the other challenge for retailers is that for many of them, they have had to make some difficult decisions this year, closing stores, letting people go, yeah, and then to be you know, appearing to have actually lots of money in the bank to spend on marketing, that might be uncomfortable for them and provide a challenge for them. Would you agree with that? I understand the point for sure. Um, and I think um, your question about lavish production budgets, um, actually, it's probably about 80 to 90% of the budget goes on media spend. So what we might find is uh, media budgets being reduced, because as you say, businesses are tightening on their belts and, and things like that. But for the production side, with most ads probably in the can already, I don't think that will really change. But I do think, uh, more importantly, there's an onus of retailers to be empathetic towards their their colleagues and their staff and people that they've had to furlough and so on. So a big part of marketing in terms of the briefs that we're seeing, actually, how do we help businesses work internally? How do we have the right communications with staff so that they feel safe where they're working, so they feel protected where they can, or so they understand the dynamics of the business? But um, the internal comms is is a really hard thing to crack. Christmas is often a time for nostalgia. If you think back to previous campaigns, the holidays are coming, Coca-Cola ad uh, has almost become part of Christmas folklore. Do you think that we may see some repurposing of past ads to play on this sentiment whilst having the added advantage of keeping costs down? Um, Perhaps. We've seen retailers do it before. I know um, Morrison's a few years back um, reused uh, an old Christmas campaign um, so that has been done, but as as you started um, our chat with the recognition that Christmas is so important that I think there will still be that element of how do we find an edge, how do we have an impact, especially if you want to ramp up sales towards the end of the year. So you might find a bit of nostalgia in ads, um, maybe like looking back to the brand um, in previous moments, trying to find a bit of warmth. But I don't think it will be repurposing things because a lot of the money goes on the media side in any case. So if, you're, if your money's already going to get things out there, then probably want to have something impactful in you that helps you build a brand over time. As an agency, you're also responsible for in-store Christmas campaigns for the likes of Tesco. Yeah. How are COVID restrictions likely to affect what we see in-store? I, I think that's a really good question. Because, you know, it's, the, the store experience is, is so important uh, during December. You know, everything from trying to deal with screaming kids in a packed store whilst you're looking for the right crackers that your mum's asked for. I think we've all been in those moments, all the way through to the lovely ones when actually there's a bit of magic in store and that first feeling of festivity. And there's always that bit, isn't there, when you open your mince pies far too early, but you kind of think, oh, well, it's nearly Christmas. I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to get stuck in. So losing that, I think, will be a huge loss. But what I hope um, that happens instead, though, is we see a little bit more innovation around it with, with all of the in-store comms focused on safety and, and getting everything that you need. Are there other ways we can do to create more of an experience? So is it personalised mobile experiences in-store? So something that's more owned by you and handheld, something you can play with the kids? Is it about finding places in the online journey to bring a little bit of joy? So or is it about the role of stores in, in community? There are plenty of opportunities, but I think there'll have to be away from just the fun things that you see in store um, as we used to. 
And for, for me as a marketer, I'm quite excited about that because it forces us to think a little bit creatively. Uh, I remember being told uh, many a year ago that one of the best things about um, in-store aisle hangers is that they've got two sides, so you can have two messages. So I'm hoping that at least out of the crisis, we'll find some creativity to build experience in new ways and better ways and more fun ways. Do you think experience is going to be playing a backseat to availability and, and functionality? And, and, and how do you think budgets are going to be refocused between in-store, ATL and, and online? I think when it comes to Christmas, um, availability and so on always has to come first. You know, it's about making sure people can get the things that they want, um, whether that's uh, because it's something they want to go above and beyond with, whether it's something that's crucial to the Christmas or whether it's just something fundamental to the household all the way through to the forgotten batteries um, on Christmas morning. So I think that will always be the most important thing. And the layer of experience you wrap around that is more of a chance to kind of build a little bit of attention in the short term. You know, look what this brand is doing, look what brand Y is doing, but also to try and set up a little bit of momentum. So some brands, I think, will still want to add a bit of experience to bring quality credentials to their offering. So, you know, um, M&S always goes uh, even more at market around Christmas, and that's largely around the marketing as well as the product itself. And other players might go the other way and go, how do we use experience to show our value credentials? But the store and the online footprint themselves, um, I think, will have to be laser-focused on availability. And uh, it's going to be hard with so many people shopping in different ways this year. Sustainability is a message that has perhaps understandably taken a bit of a back seat in recent months because of COVID. A number of retailers such as Selfridges and Waitrose have been elevating the sustainability message and focusing on what steps they're taking to make it a, a green Christmas. Do you think this is going to be a growing theme in the run-up to December? It's a really tricky one, isn't it? Um, as you say, it's, it's lower down the customer worry and priority list at the moment. But I think um, the, the issue has never been um, more important than it is now. So for me, I think the emphasis needs to go on actions rather than messaging. So whilst marketing and communications might be distracted with uh, dealing with COVID, launching Christmas, talking about products and availability and so on, it's not to say that businesses behind the scenes can't keep going and working towards um, improving their sustainability plans. I mean, there's no way this issue won't resurface. Uh, hopefully once we're out of um, lockdown and we've got a little bit more headspace to think more broadly. So for me, if I was a retailer right now, I'd definitely keep that stream of work going, even if it isn't the thing that I want to talk about in the short term. Simon Gregory, great to hear from you. Thank you for joining us on the Retail Exchange podcast. Thank you very much for having me. The Golden Quarter has officially started and it's widely seen as the most lucrative time of the year for the majority of retailers. COVID-19 has disrupted the retail calendar throughout 2020 and brought on fears that Christmas itself would be cancelled. Well, we'll now try to go behind the headlines to look at what we can expect to see in the weeks to come. To discuss this, I'm delighted to welcome Richard Lim, CEO of Retail Economics. Let's think about retail footfall. What are your forecasts at Retail Economics when it comes to the high streets and the malls this year? 
I think that um, the distribution of of spend across different physical channels is um, is being felt quite unevenly, actually. And so we've seen evidence of, for example, retail parks um, holding up better than shopping centres and high streets. Um, the re- reasons being that uh, people feel more comfortable shopping in open air environments, typically bigger box um, retail units where they can... Uh, they, they can social distance um, easier and things like that. So, so we've seen parts of physical channels hold up better than others. The part that's been under the most amount of pressure has been shopping centres. Um, and actually, I think that uh, shopping centres face some significant challenges when it comes up uh, as we run up to Christmas. Um, you know, landlords will be under pressure to limit the number of people that are allowed into shopping centres. Uh, retailers will be limiting the number of people that are allowed into their stores. So it wouldn't be surprising to see queues outside shopping centres, queues outside um, shops, queues inside shops. So there's that risk that there's going to be um, quite a frustrating experience for shoppers um, at that kind of peak Christmas period. Um, and there is a risk as well that, uh, that that will lead to a further significant shift online, but the industry just simply isn't built um, to, you know, to have you know, 50, 60, 70% of sales online over Christmas. So we could be in a situation where um, there's just significant restraints on capacity within the industry, um, and, and uh, unless retailers can be really creative, really innovative, and landlords can be creative and innovative along with um, local authorities and government, um, it could be a very challenging period. Richard, I wonder, is there a balance of focus for retailers between tactical thoughts, i.e. making at least something of 2020 by maximising sales in Q4, and balancing that out with strategic uh, approach, trying to assess and respond to the longer uh, new reality that COVID has brought on? I think retailers always try to manage that balance. And uh, so I don't think there's necessarily um, you know, anything new there. But what I would say is that the uh, the priorities for many retailers, um, and, and of course, retailers are you know, in, in different situations, but for many retailers, um, especially in those areas that have been most significantly hit, so apparel being one of those areas, they're still in survival mode. They're still looking at how to reduce um, costs, how to you know how to cut cut down the number of stores, how to reduce space, how to really streamline operational efficiencies to preserve working capital, to make sure that they're in the best financial position possible to weather the storm as effectively as they can. There's so much uncertainty around what, um, how extensive these different lockdowns will be across different regions of the UK. There's still significant uncertainty around the depth of the, um, of, of, of the recession and how households will be affected and how they will transition out of the, um, of, of, of the recession into next year. So much of this, of this uncertainty means that retailers will be um, in a position of protecting their working capital just to make sure that they can weather this storm. For other parts of the industry, uh, they've seen you know, a boost in sales. You know, Amazon would be a simple example of, of a retailer that's seen significant 
benefit from this seismic shift towards online, but also retailers like Kingfisher, B&Q, that have also seen you know significant benefits. So these retailers will be thinking more long-term, more tactically, more strategically about how they can reposition their business, reposition their proposition to effectively align to this new normal that we're seeing in terms of consumer behaviour evolve over, over the coming months and years ahead. You mentioned a few moments ago queues. Um, no one likes a queue. And I can imagine standing outside in the wet and cold or surrounded by people who you don't know what their status is in terms of whether they're infected with COVID-19 or not is a deeply unappealing thought to a lot of people. Do you think that the retailers perhaps might reflect uh, the unappealing nature of that with perhaps more click and collect in terms of the way that they operate their stores and perhaps, you know, doing a bit of redesign so that there is a separate door to go in to make the collection and a separate counter there? I think they will have to. Um, I think that um, I think that there's going to be a significant amount of anxiety for shoppers. You know, some of our research that we did showed that there's about 71% of consumers um, that will be put off from Christmas shopping in physical locations. So, of course, this will create more online shopping, um, but it's about it's about integrating the digital proposition, whether that's right from the beginning of the customer journey to the end in terms of fulfillment and returns. Um, it's about kind of utilizing a digital presence, the digital technologies with the physical store assets that they've got, but also working with you know partnerships and different careers using lockers, for example, or using pickup points in, in news agents and other and other destinations. It's about being creative and innovative, you know, trying to find these solutions. And we saw a lot of this roll out across the um, the height of the pandemic where, you know, M&S partnered with Deliveroo to deliver food. We saw Dunelm offering kind of click and collect where people would come out and put things into the boot of your car. So I expect to see a lot more of those innovations um, for different retailers as well. Looking at the news and how it changes so quickly from day to day in terms of what rules are in place in different parts of the country, I would imagine that this must be hugely challenging for many national retailers because they can't even have a consistent approach in terms of how they run their stores across the country because there are different rules in place in different parts of the country. It's just that it's hugely challenging. I completely agree. It's going to be challenging for individual store managers to, to, you know, to understand the different rules and how they apply to their stores and how that differs from other regions uh, throughout the country. Uh, but it goes right throughout the supply chain as well, different rules for different parts of the supply chain. And even the, the areas around warehousing, going back to my point about capacity and this shift towards online, you know, retailers, I was, I was talking to a retailer only last week that was telling me that uh, that currently you know, it's a it's um, a pure online retailer. Sales were up thirty percent year on year, um, you know, really strong. But they essentially said that as it comes towards Christmas, probably the maximum they could be that, that they would be able to cope with is around 15 percent year on year. You know, last Christmas they were at the you know they were they were significantly stretched at full capacity. 
if sales shifted online and they saw the kind of growth over Christmas that they're seeing now, they simply didn't have the capacity because of the distribution centers, the social distancing in distribution centers, and the pressure that, that that would have. So we're going to see this shift towards online, and my, you know, it would it would be kind of a, a logical uh, deduction that the areas that see the most significant measures around lockdown, those t- tier three areas, um, we'll see that the most significant shift towards online. So those areas are going to challenges um, for those reasons. We know that it's been a miserable year for many, many people. Do many retailers have a challenge in terms of encouraging people to go out and shop, indulge themselves, do the normal things that you would do at this time of the year, whilst recognising that many people just don't have the money to be able to do that? Yes, there will be pockets where households are under significant pressure. Um, but for other parts, and I do, and I do think this almost hinges, uh, the success of Christmas for retailers hinges very much on the point that the most affluent households have been the ones that have been able to weather um, the disruption best so far. Um, and these households have seen a significant boost in discretionary spending because of things like not going on holiday. You know, the average family spends about £2,000 a year on going on a holiday abroad. The most affluent households spend about £5,000 a year on going on holiday abroad. And this is, this is you know, discretionary spending that has been allocated to other areas or is, is, or is kind of increased savings and the opportunity there is to splurge over Christmas. And so the success of Christmas for many retailers will be um, dependent on who their customers are and whether or not they're in those areas that have been least affected. And so actually Christmas will be a way to spoil um, their children and try to create some good memories in such a difficult year. Which sectors of retail, and actually, if you can tell us, specific retailers do you think are looking vulnerable during the golden quarter? Well, I think that um, that apparel is the, is the area that has been under the most amount of pressure. Um, and I think that that, that that pressure within that part of the industry will continue to be, uh, continue to be felt. Um, I think that you know a combination of factors, but one of the, you know, of course, one of the reasons is that we're just not going out as much. Um, there's less uh, lo- less opportunities to mix socially, less, uh, and, it, and it's essentially undermined the demand for um, for for buying new outfits and um, and and and, uh, and going out. We've seen massive lifestyle changes like working from home, and again, that's really undermined the demand for um, for, uh, uh, for for shopping for apparel. So, you know, our own figures show that even now, apparel sales are still down around double digits, and we expect that part of the industry to remain under pressure. Uh, when it comes to different retailers, what I would say, rather than kind of like you know n- pulling out specific examples, the retailers that have the best online propositions, pure online retailers, we saw recent results from ASOS, for example, that showed you know some you know healthy growth in sales and boosting number of customers and uh, and profitable growth as well. Those retailers that have spent years investing in their online proposition from building really slick. Uh, websites or mobile apps or um, or just having a mobile optimized platform to automated warehouses and things like that. But those that have really invested in their online proposition are best positioned for this kind of challenge ahead. 
those retailers that are overexposed to their store estate have too many stores, too much space, uh, having to deal with inflexible lease structures. It's going to be a significant challenge for them to pivot their business models to a much more digitally driven model because they've got so much baggage from a legacy model that they've been operating with. Richard Lim. Always good to speak to you. Thanks again for being on this episode of the special from the Retail Exchange podcast. Many of the predictions for 2020 have been derailed by the year's events. So what are key trends that we should be taking note of as we approach the end of the year and look ahead to what we all hope will be a much better 2021? Jack Stratton is Senior Trend Consultant at Retail Consultancy Insider Trends. Jack Stratton, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Are there going to be some trends which have come about because of COVID, but are going to stay beyond when COVID has eventually got away? Yeah, it's a good question. We, we've really been grappling with this all year and, and, and Christmas presents us, I guess, with another opportunity to, to think about that. Um, I think, you know, in some ways, physical spaces adapting to make them you know really safe for covid of course that that trend maybe is harder to 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 pin down because of course that relies largely on how things shape up in in the future in terms of vaccines and otherwise but um i think in terms of people shopping earlier and therefore we're talking primarily about e-commerce i think actually that is something we'll see longer term um, and I think it's partly just because e-commerce, you can shop early. You can think about shopping earlier. I think it's not just Christmas. I think people do, you know, planning um, around what they're buying when it comes to online shopping uh, much earlier. I saw a statistic recently that even when people um, buy in physical stores, they start something like 85 to 90 percent of their shopping journeys online. So it's not just that we're buying online earlier. We're just spending time online um, earlier in advance of purchases for Christmas and other events. I think that's going to be a trend that we see much more in the future, even with brands that continue to focus on physical spaces well in the future, which absolutely might be an important part of um, retail in the future. I think that um, online online behaviours that are being established now in COVID, people spending more time online inevitably, a lot of that's going to stay because, yeah, I think sh- even the shoppers that love going to physical stores, they're still going to pop onto the website first. You know, check what's in stock, um, get an idea of um, of store opening times. It could be specific things like that, but even like store events and experiences that are going on and um, kind of doing a bit of preparation before they go to the store. That's just going, to, I'm pretty sure that's going to be um, a part of how we shop well into the future. It was already happening before COVID, to be perfectly honest. So COVID has really just been an acceleration of that um, in terms of, you know, the people who, who spent a lot online um, already are, are spending even more. But actually, the, probably the key acceleration is the people, the kind of um, the people who just weren't buying online at all. Um, that's the key thing. I think we'll see a lot of those people now. They will stay. I don't think those people who are buying online for the first time are suddenly going to um, stop doing that in the future. I think I think some of that at least will remain. That's not to say they won't go back to stores, but they will keep doing some of their shopping online. Um, that will be uh, probably the most noticeable change, I think, in the future. In recent years, the emphasis within physical retail has been on the experiential. More recently, perhaps because of the pandemic, sure because of the pandemic, it's shifted to functional and frictionless. How will physical retail's playbook likely play out in 2021? Will the experiential uh, rise again? 
And if it won't, what will take its place? The short answer is I do think experiential retail will rise again simply because it was a trend that built up in some ways over decades, but was really based not on trends, but something, you know, behaviours that consumers have um, shown for, for generations. You know, experiences really comes down to just enjoying that physical interaction in a physical space with um, other shoppers, with staff and with experiences happening in the space. I, I, I see that as such a fundamental thing that people want um, that I don't think it will go away long term. I think it will come back when it comes back of course, is largely dependent on how we deal with the COVID pandemic itself. Um, but I think also I should point out that, that a lot of this has to do with e-commerce and e-commerce's performance. It's been really well um, documented, actually. There's been some great stuff written by um, McKinsey, as ever. And the general consensus is that e-commerce has absolutely captured the functional side of buying the transactional side. In fact, part of the problem, and I, this was written by McKinsey and I loved it, they had this idea that some people have found themselves in, and when it comes to food buying, for example, in what they called a kind of grocery rut, which basically is that um, websites like, for example, Amazon Fresh, who Amazon Fresh have grown massively during COVID and really, you know, kind of um, jumped on the opportunity left by some other supermarkets who hadn't been performing particularly well, um, that actually... Websites like Amazon Fresh are so perfectly optimised for building an understanding of what we want to buy each week. So what we want to buy, when we want to buy it. Actually, what customers are starting to show is that they're getting a little bit annoyed by that. And they're getting frustrated by that because what's what, what's missing is what you got from physical retail. So where you go into a supermarket, something that we took for granted perhaps before, but you go for that slow walk around and perhaps you see some different items that you've never seen before at the end of an aisle. You you speak to someone, you you know, you chat to someone at the butcher counter, whatever it is, those moments of interaction with people or equally inspiration around new products that you might want to try, that doesn't happen very well online. E-commerce still hasn't managed to truly capture that side of things. So it's often called kind of emotional engagement online. And online buying still hasn't captured or mastered that side of buying, which of course is what experiential retail in the physical space is all about. It's my view that until e-commerce can find a way of, of, of um, going beyond the functional and transactional and actually really making it emotional um, or, or at least making it, um, make it an enjoyable experience, not just a functional one, I think physical retail will remain essential in the future. Um, and that's not to say that that um, tech companies aren't trying to solve the emotional part. There are all kinds of um, developments going on to try and um, deal with that part, to try and let people, for example, in beauty, there's there's loads going on in terms of allowing people to try on makeup at home through you know uh, augmented reality technology, and there's tons of that stuff happening. That's all well and good, but but it definitely hasn't um, answered the question yet of how to make online buying more fun. And there's some some evidence, and certainly anecdotally, that people are getting a bit bored, frankly, of just how good and easy online shopping is because it lacks a bit of inspiration. So for that reason, I think until that's solved, and I don't think it will be, the experiential side of physical retail will remain relevant and people will want it. As it gets safer, they will want to return to those experiences. That's, um, that's my opinion. What other key trends do you think retailers and brands would be overlooking at their peril? There was a growth before COVID towards, uh, for retailers looking to maybe open up smaller store formats, or at least use their larger stores in a, in a, in a slightly uh, more intelligent way. We've seen for years 
from you know BHS and Debenhams, uh, companies who maybe overexpanded and had lots of large, large stores all across the UK and other countries indeed, that those types of stores were struggling because as footfall reduced, so much of that store, which of course was very, very expensive to run, just became quite frankly um, a burden, uh, you know, a cost more than anything. Sales per square foot were diminishing. And meanwhile, at the very same time, there was this trend that's that's been growing for many years of um, micro spaces and smaller store formats as brands realised actually with online buying and maybe withholding your stock elsewhere in fulfilment centres, there was a real benefit sometimes in opening up smaller store formats that could really just kind of um, act as a kind of brand space, as somewhere to build a relationship with a customer, somewhere to interact with with um, a service member, maybe use some kind of interesting technology, have an experience, basically. Um, and you could really do a lot with a small space, and not to mention the fact that it's infinitely cheaper. And even better still, that those spaces don't just have to be on high streets, and we know that high streets are struggling. Some of those small store formats can be in other places, like train stations, airports, petrol stations. I think that's a massive trend, and it could well be... Um, maybe as we come out of COVID and opportunities arise, I think we'll see more and more retailers wanting to do that. I think we'll see some online-only retailers who want to open physical spaces, opening up small store formats to try things out. I think we'll see retailers from outside of the UK who want to break into the UK, opening up small store formats. I think that's a massive trend and it's a big one also for some of those brands, those kind of legacy UK brands with big stores like uh, John Lewis, for example, um, to consider too. And I know John Lewis are actually making some good strides with this. So their flagship location in Oxford Street, they've, applied, they've applied for um, dual use for that space, which basically means um, that at least half the store they could do something completely different with. Um, because clearly they, they, so much of that store they feel just isn't viable to just hold product in some traditional way. So dual use will allow them to do something completely different with a lot of that space. I think that's really important because that is also part of this trend um, that actually, you know, John Lewis needs less space. And then with the rest of the space, they can do something really interesting, engage people in another way or just purely to make that space profitable. Because who knows, it could be shared working space. It could be um, it could be food and beverage could be anything, um, but it opens up the opportunity of doing something different. So I think that, I think kind of micro retail and shared use spaces are big, big trends that people have to consider as we come out of COVID. And I also think, um, I, I think retailers are aware of this, but perhaps not always aware enough that I don't think it's a safe time to put all your eggs into the e-commerce basket. It's certainly not a safe time to put all your eggs into the physical space basket, clearly. Um, I, I stand by what um, it, myself and, and, and my colleagues at Insider Trends have been saying for years, which is that the future of retail is omni-channel, multi-channel, whatever you want to call it. It's basically a mix of uh, the ideal brand of the future will have a mix of physical space and a very strong online presence, giving the customers the choice to buy as they want, either online or physically, um, delivered to their home, picked up in stores, um, stores that provide great experiences and, and, and are engaging and fun um, and do the things that online can't. And then online can be really, really efficient and just do the things that are quick and functional and help them to get what they need there. Basically, that those online channels and physical channels working together, that, that, I think, that I think was massively important before COVID. It's become even important now. There's loads of evidence to suggest that the brands that have been most successful during COVID haven't just been the purely online-only brands with no physical presence. They've actually been the ones with the best multi-channel presence, the ones that could sell a lot online, but equally had the stores to, to do things like uh, click and collect. So um, yeah, the omni-channel trend, I would also add to the kind of micro space and mixed use trend. 
Is there a challenge for retailers and brands in terms of turning trends insight into that thing that really matters, which is profit? Um, definitely there is. And I think going back to my last point about Omnichannel, I think that this has been the big challenge. There are, unfortunately, there are um, an enormous amount of examples of, of uh, retailers investing in omnichannel technology. So maybe, you know, some kind of in-store technology that connects with um, something online. So for example, a, a shopper might um, have an app of a particular brand and they could walk into the store and through this piece of technology, they could tap something in store and immediately the app recognizes they're in there and they can do all kinds of interesting stuff. Now, in reality, there's only a handful of brands, brands like Nike, who have introduced in-store technology like that and actually genuinely made money from it, you know, could 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 prove profitability from that that um, the investment in that technology. Huge amount of brands have kind of done it as something of a stunt and then they haven't made very much money from it. So I, I think this is a very important point, turning trends into something meaningful and turn, turning into insight because with so many trends like that, so many brands kind of do it maybe because they've seen Nike do it or they read about it, but they don't really, I think, get to grips properly with their own brand, their own customers and what actually works for them. The truth is the most profitable omnichannel innovation is without question click and collect. And I think so many brands um, don't attempt just to get the basics of that right. In other words, making sure that all of their stock throughout the supply chain is traceable, where that mean this means the stock is uh, you know chipped or otherwise, but it's all traceable. So customers, all the, retail, the retailers themselves know exactly what stock is where in each store. And then a customer could go online and they could go, right, look at my nearest store that's two miles away. They have that jumper that I want to buy. It's in stock now and I can collect it or I can have it delivered within four hours if I pay two pounds or for free if I get it tomorrow. That kind of level of um, of uh, great service is only deliverable by having a really good kind of omni-channel infrastructure where the physical stock is linked to your website. Um and I think that's an example of actually, you know, that omni-channel trend being brought to life in a, in a meaningful way in terms of insight. It's remarkable to me how how many brands still haven't kind of got that. The, 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 and it's a hard process. Don't get me wrong. Lining up your 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 stock data with your website, of course. But um, that is, you know, for example, one of the biggest things you can do. I think to transform how you retail in this age. And yet, of course, so many brands. I would say aren't really doing that, but maybe are spending time, you know, building an app that they try to connect to in store that, to be honest, there's very little evidence from that many retailers that it's turned a big profit. That's not to say you shouldn't do that. There is some evidence, of course, you should, but it's about, I think, getting the the, the basics right in many cases. Um, and, and that kind of idea that I've just explored there, I think, really covers a lot of different trends that I would probably mention about how you make them meaningful. It really is as simple in many cases of um, starting with the infrastructural stuff in your business, actually getting nuts and bolts right to do something um, that's meaningful for customers and, and that can turn a profit rather than a kind of stunt. I think we st we're still very much in a time where retailers spend too much money and time on things that for me just feel like something for PR, something to to have, have, uh, have something written about you. Um, uh, especially during, and hopefully I think maybe COVID will accelerate some of the kind of smarter, more pragmatic innovations because retailers are in a position where whatever they do invest really needs to, to work. Crystal ball gazing is pretty pointless at the moment. That said, <laughs> yeah. if you were going to look at one trend or, or, or a group of trends, what was the one, what is the one thing that you would flag up for, for the coming year? What's next? It's a really good question. I think uh, what I would say is 
I think, I think perhaps there will be, I hope anyway, that there will be an opportunity that emerges for some online only brands, some startups, some smaller companies to actually be quite brave and bold and potentially not necessarily expand, but be able to come into physical space or be able to start to um, use this potentially as an opportunity to to grow their brands and, and, and to try new things. And I say that because a major thing that everyone is talking about and seems to be very true is that big city centres, um, a lot of their retail a lot of the retail chains in those locations depended on office workers and those office workers have disappeared and and many of those office workers will never return at least not on a five day a week basis so those locations have had a dramatic drop in footfall and there's a lot of regional high streets that have had an increase in footfall because a lot of office workers are back at home in commuter towns and, and, and different areas and some of those high streets have seen um, a, actually a decent rebound in terms of footfall and sales and and of course a lot of those high streets are infinitely cheaper to try and um, open up a new physical space. Um, I think there could be some sort of tiny sprouts of optimism around some brands, um, maybe existing brands kind of trying out new concepts in, on those high streets and locations, but also new online-only companies or even completely new startups altogether, um, testing um, physical retail within those locations where it's much cheaper and actually the consequences of it not working that well are much smaller. So I'm hoping that actually um, where maybe some chains are closing on regional high streets, maybe the positive that comes out of that is there's some there's some new independent um, concepts to open up in their place. I think we might see a little bit of that in some locations. I'm hopeful there will be, um, especially if they, they're the kind of brands that have been able to do quite well during COVID because they're strong online. Um, I hope um, it's an optimistic view, definitely, but I think there's some prospects, if not next year, maybe the year after, for that to happen. And of course, that would be good news for consumers, because I think most of us want to see regional high streets full of independent companies and startups and interesting businesses. I think that would be a great consequence of all of this. Jack Stratton, great to hear from you. Some really interesting thoughts there. Thank you for joining us on the Retail Exchange podcast. That's all we've got time for on this episode. Thanks to my guests, Simon Gregory at BBH, Richard Lim from Retail Economics and Jack Stratton of Insider Trends. And thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. I'm Martin Popplewell. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast.